Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. We'll be talking this morning about the supreme desirability of wisdom. The supreme desirability of wisdom. When I was younger, much younger, one of my favorite things was treasure hunts or scavenger hunts. How many of you have done a scavenger hunt or a treasure hunt? For how many of you is that like just like something you always looked forward to? Okay, how many of you have done, I'm just curious, scavenger hunt as an adult? Yeah, okay. Was it like a photo scavenger hunt or? Oh, okay, cool, yeah. I guess that's, that's kind of scavenger hunting thing. It's a search for something. You're getting clues along the way, with the treasure hunt at least. You're getting, you're getting clues and you're trying to find something that is valuable. Whether or not it's actually valuable is depending on what the prize at the end of the treasure hunt is. And I think of treasure hunt as being the way that the book of Proverbs talks about wisdom. It talks about wisdom as something that's worth searching for, something that's worth finding, something that is supremely desirable. And that's exactly what we're going to look at from this passage in Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. So if you would turn with me there, and there's going to be a section where there's a lot of verses to just read one at a time. So resolve in your heart now that you're going to be one of those people to read a verse nice and loud. But uh, these ones, I'll read. Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Let's pray as we get ready to study this passage. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that in your word we can find wisdom. And we thank you that in your word you communicate the value of wisdom so that we'll go after it. Lord, I ask that as we spend time looking at Proverbs 3 this morning and seeking to better understand what wisdom is and why we need it, I just ask that this would be something that would impact each of us, help us to better consider our walk and consider if we are rightly, um, rightly prioritizing our lives around what you've said is of great value. So please be with our time together, be with our discussion afterwards and throughout, and allow the study to be fruitful. We lift this time up to you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. plan this morning will be to kind of jump through and look at uh, a few questions as we go. But then we'll uh, have some questions at the very end also. But as always, feel free to stop me, raise your hand if you have questions as we're going, and we'll roll along. So, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Something that we've all heard the term wisdom. We probably all have an assumption of what we think of with wisdom, but we might not all necessarily be thinking of the same thing when we're thinking of biblical wisdom. So, one thing I have written on your hand out there, true wisdom is fundamentally connected to fearing the Lord. Fundamentally connected to fearing the Lord. You can't have true wisdom without fear of the Lord. And that's where our terminology for wisdom starts to break down, because we use wisdom just to mean basically smarts or know-how. Or you, you, I'm just, he seems like a really wise person. 
And we have that in our minds totally separated from fear of the Lord, submission to the Lord, seeking to honor the Lord with our whole lives. But scripture speaks of wisdom very differently and keeps the concept of fearing the Lord, following the Lord, in close connection to wisdom. A quote from the Lexham Bible Dictionary, the key feature distinguishing biblical wisdom from its ancient Near Eastern counterparts is the foundational function of the fear of Yahweh. This is what distinguishes biblical wisdom from just your run-of-the-mill smarts or street knowledge or whatever you would call it today. There's something different about biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is fixated on fearing the Lord. So here's where we're going to be rattling off a lot of verses. They're all going to be on the screen, so you don't have to look them up. They're all coming out of that, um, that uh, thing you have in your handout, so you don't have to write all these down. But I'd like to have each, someone just read out these verses. So the first is Proverbs 1, 7. Someone. Nice and loud. There. Yeah. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Someone else for 129. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. 2.5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 8.13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the ways of evil, and perverted speech I hate. And then 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 10.27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. And then 14, 26, and 27. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the place of death. I see, you looked it up. 15, 16. And 1533. 16.6. 19.23. 22.4. 22.4. Awesome. Thank you all so much. You're probably thinking, wow, that sounded really repetitive. It feels like we're reading basically the same sort of verse over and over and over again. And that's kind of the point, is that Proverbs takes 101 different angles to focus and say, this is fundamental. You're not going to have wisdom. You're not going to have the blessings that flow from wisdom without a life that is organized around God's will, fearing the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. So, let me flip through all these pages of notes. So, some implications of this. And you're probably already thinking of some implications. But we must not think of wisdom as a bonus or an add-on to life. It's not just something that we tack on and say, 
yeah, I, I, I want to be a Christian, I'll be a Christian, but I'll, I'll tack on wisdom as kind of this optional bonus. That's not the way Proverbs talks about wisdom. Wisdom is central to living a life that pleases the Lord. Biblical wisdom is fundamental to pleasing the Lord, and having wisdom is impossible without fearing God. So you, you can't have one without the other. They're, they're a package deal. And also, there's no such thing as a wise atheist. There's no such thing as a wise, quote-unquote, in a biblical sense, non-believer. Because fundamentally, wisdom is fearing the Lord. It is obeying the Lord. So, Proverbs, or, uh, Romans one twenty-two, and obviously we'd want to look at the whole context, but for sake of time, we're just going to look at Romans one twenty-two. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. So the person that rejects God, even though they may say they're wise, even though they may say they have all the... All the knowledge in the world on their side. Fundamentally, they're fools. That's the language scripture uses in the New Testament as well. Romans 1.22. So all that to say is that Proverbs points in the direction of wisdom. It's a book filled with wisdom principles. But all of it's flowing from that key foundation point. Which is, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs are divine guidelines and wide observations. Wise observations, teaching underlying principles, which are not always inflexible laws or absolute promises. Really important to remember, and we don't just take a Proverbs out of context and say, take a proverb out of context and say, this is a promise, this is absolutely sure. It's a principle. These are, these are the sorts of ways the Lord made the universe, made our interactions with mankind such that knowing these principles helps us generally. We'll touch more on that as we get through this passage a little more. So to the Hebrew mind, wisdom was not knowledge alone, but the skill of living a godly life as God intended man to live. So true wisdom assumes a right relationship with the Lord. A right relationship with the Lord. That's one of your blanks. The wise person is a believer who seeks to live a life that is pleasing to God. This will actually be a table discussion question. Why is it essential to realize that wisdom is fundamentally fearing God and recognizing his authority over our lives? That question, but then also I'd tack onto it. And what happens if you don't connect those dots? What happens if you don't connect those dots? Take like three minutes to get chatting at tables. As soon as you get the conversation rolling, we'll come back together and one of you will shout out an answer. So go for it. All right, said it was going to feel short. So answers to that question is what you're talking about at tables. I heard some discussion, so someone has an answer. Pop it out there. Why is it important? Otherwise, you'll be a fool. Yep. Anything else? Is that the extent of it? Yeah. I think it's tethered to the idea of the finite creatures of God's infinite. If we don't have the idea that we shouldn't fear God, we're coming from an idea that we have some. Exactly. Yeah, if we are functionally in sovereigns in our mind and yeah, we don't we don't recognize our dependence. Yeah, that's really good. Anyone else? All right. So what is it to be blessed? That's another thing we need to highlight when we're talking about this. 
Verses 13 and 18 of this chapter, which you're probably wondering, when are we going to get into this chapter? Talk about blessing. And it's the first and last part of the section. It's called an inclusio. When an author has something at the beginning and something at the end that says, basically, this is a thought sandwich. And the two things at the beginning and the end are the, the bread. And blessed is the bread here. So what does it mean to be blessed? Quote from Alan Ross. Blessed describes heavenly bliss stemming from being right with God. It depicts the human condition of well-being that comes with God's blessing or as a divine reward for righteousness. R.C. Sproul writes, The word does not mean merely a subjective feeling. It is found almost exclusively in the Psalms and the wisdom literature describing the life that enjoys God's grace and favor. Again, wisdom and blessing, two words that we use differently today than how Scripture is using these words. And we have to keep that in mind as we go through these verses. Otherwise, we're bound to misunderstand it. So, the man who finds wisdom, right off from the beginning in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. There's something we can learn even from that verse, verse 13. Matthew Poole, a very old, now very dead gentleman, observes two things from the fact that wisdom is found. And I really appreciate it. That man hath it not naturally in himself, but must have it from another, even from God and his word. That's the first observation. He found it. The the guy found wisdom. He didn't draw it out of his own heart. So blessed is the man who finds wisdom, which means we don't default naturally have it in us. We need it from the Lord. It's something that's found. And second observation, that men should labor for it as those do that dig and draw forth metals out of the earth. So he's using the illustration of mining. Like, you picture miners, and they're like, they've, they've put in work. Mining is not a, um, a light and easy job, but you know that what you're drawing out of that mountain is worth it. I think I heard something somewhere recently about someone that found like a record-sized diamond recently in a diamond mine somewhere, and he had to work for that. You don't just stumble across those things. So it's something that takes searching, something that takes work, and Matthew Poole highlights that. So question, wisdom must be sought slash found. How is the reality that wisdom is not found internally informative for how we should look for wisdom, and how is that contrary to, quote-unquote, follow-your-heart advice? Full group discussion. So someone thoughts to those questions. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But yeah, if it's not in yourself, then it's not in, in others intrinsically also. Good, good point, yeah. It totally, it totally ruins the postmodern thought process because it looks for all meaning inside of itself. Mm-hmm. So therefore, no postmodernists can be wise. It's really, it, it, this describes the, the kind of wavering of our morality. Mm. Yeah, good point. Any other thoughts on that question? Is follow your heart still just as much advice as it was 10 years ago? Is that still like the buzzword of everything? I figured that hasn't changed a whole lot. Any other thoughts on that question? All right. Rolling... 
Um, so again, verse 13 and 18 bracket this section with the claim that finding slash having wisdom is being blessed. The verses in between present and explain why the wise life is the blessed life. So this morning we'll look at five reasons why wisdom brings blessing. Five reasons why wisdom brings blessing. And here the, the author chooses to liken wisdom to a lady. And um, I don't know exactly whether this is like kind of picturing it as like courtship and marriage or whether it's picturing it as a, a great friend to have around. It's not tremendously clear what the illustration is. But the point is, wisdom is figured as a person and this person has a lot to offer in the relationship. And we see that she's profitable, she's valuable, she's loaded, and she's pleasant, and wisdom's ultimate end is eternal life. There was a question I was teaching in the high school. Some of you might have been there, because there's some, some grads there too, on uh, Wednesday night, and we were talking about uh, dating. And one of the guys asked, like, how can you spot a Christian gold digger? That is a very interesting question. (laughs) I had a lot more questions than answers on that one. When we get to the part on wisdom being loaded, that's kind of the the figure of speech in mind, is that this is someone that has something that you want in this relationship. So, first off, she's profitable. Proverbs 3.14. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. So she's profitable. Wisdom's production is better than financial interest. Better than financial interest. Gain here holds the connotation of extrin- extrin- extrinsic, not intrinsic, extrinsic value. And I had to look up, is that actually a word in financial terms? And it turns out it's instrumental value. So any of you financial people, you know that instrumental value is the value that something um, has because of what it can produce for you, what it can do for you. So, uh, basically, in the sense that this, this pen is valuable for me for writing, it's valuable as an instrument in that regard. Wisdom is valuable for what it can produce. Silver and gold are valuable for their ability to be transacted for other necessities. Today, we look at gold and we're like, well, it's a great semiconductor and it's super useful for that. So, there's, there's ex- intrinsic value to gold, but then the monetary value was gold was valuable for what you could get out of it, what you could change it for, transact it for. And in the same way, wisdom is valuable in part because of what it produces. Wisdom produces something in your life. It's like, it's like having, I'm guessing no one here grew up on a dairy farm, but it's like having a, a milk cow that's constantly, pro- a dairy cow, that's constantly producing milk. In the same way, wisdom, having wisdom is going to be producing something constantly in our lives, something helpful. So wisdom is like an investment with constantly compounding interest, which is saying basically the gain that you get from wisdom, what wisdom produces in your life, a life that's fearing the Lord, a life that's in submission to God's word, that production, what it does in your life is better than having all the money you could imagine in the bank producing all the interest you could imagine. So How is wisdom better than financial security? This question, kind of pin it in your mind. We'll loop back to it at the end for table discussions. But put the question close to where we talked about it so you remember what we're getting ready to talk about when we get back to it. So, first thing, first reason why wisdom brings blessing is she's profitable. She produces something in our lives. Second is she's valuable. This is a little bit different than profitable. Profitable is she's producing something. 
The second is she's valuable. Wisdom's value and desirability is unmatched. Verse 15. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Here is highlighted the intrinsic value of wisdom. Just by nature of what it is, wisdom is valuable. Not even looking at what it produces. Compared to jewels, something that's just beautiful to behold. It's just the beauty is in and of itself. What makes something valuable? What gives something its worth? Think about things that you value, things that you ascribe worth to. It's desirability. Desirability is what gives something value. How much you want something determines how much you are willing to pay for it. And we might not think of something that way, but when we fill our car up with gas, we are saying that we desire the gasoline more than we desire the wad of cash in our pocket that we just used to get a gallon of gas. It's desirability. So that's what gives something value. And in the same way, when we prioritize things, anything, not just financially, we're showing its desirability. So this is not just financial. When you think of gains, often we're thinking, maybe guys are thinking gains as in like, I want to I wanna be muscular. Well, if that's desirable, then those gains are something you're going you're gonna to sacrifice and identify the value of it in and of itself. So give something up to have that. So wisdom is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Kind of question yourself on that second verse. Do I agree with that? Do I agree that nothing I could desire even could compare couple of engineers in the room that might geek out when we start this little thought exercise, but how many feet are in a mile? Okay, good. How many centimeters are in a kilometer? Ten thousand sounds right to me. How many ounces are in a pound? Sixteen. Bingo. Gigabytes in a terabyte. Is it a thousand? I'm looking at Henry. I thought it was like 528 or something random. All right, whatever. Gigabytes in a terabyte. There's a number for that. All right, how many liters are in an acre? Exactly. You can't compare the two, right? Because it's a different unit of measure, and there's not a conversion. There's not a conversion for going from liters to acres. You have to know another dimension in order to convert it. That doesn't work because we're talking about different units of measure. In the same way that you can't measure, I mean, here they would be thinking of a scale, essentially. Like you can't compare it, you can't measure weight with the scale, weight versus height, or something like that. You have to be comparing like attributes if you're going to do a conversion like that. And in the same way, nothing compares with the desirability of wisdom because there's nothing of earthly value that you compare with it. There's no conversion factor that you can use. You can't, oh, yeah, if I need to go from X number of wisdom to X number of money, I just need to multiply by this number. There's no conversion factor for, for putting a value on wisdom because it can't be compared. It's a, it's a whole different unit of measure, really, you could say, compared to what we uh, transact with or, or think of when we think of units. There's no conversion factor you can use. You can't put a price tag on it. An example, similarly, is godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I know the kettlebell guys know this one by heart. Have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Discipline yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life 
and also for the life to come. So in the New Testament here, godliness is being contrasted in a similar way and saying, yes, bodily discipline is of value, but there's a categorical difference in the type of value that godliness has because it has benefit here, yeah, so you can kind of do a compare and contrast, but it has eternal value, which means you really can't compare it. You're comparing apples to oranges. You can observe someone's priorities, thinking through these things and, and whether or not you're trying to make a comparison. You can observe someone's priorities or your own priorities by observing what they're willing to give up for that thing. So question, does your life have an observable pattern of valuing wisdom? Do you value wisdom? Does your life reflect a priority on knowing God's ways and walking in them? There's another reflection question to hit later. So the third reason why wisdom brings blessing. Again, continuing the illustration of she's like a a woman that has something to offer in this relationship. Verse 16, long life is in her right hand and her in her left hand are riches and honor. And again, this is the she's loaded. She's bringing something to the relationship. She has both hands full of something that you want. That is long life and in her left hand riches and honor. So then right hand was a symbol of kind of priority and strength. Left-handed was kind of um, not lesser so much, but it was kind of of secondary value. And I think that's important to highlight that the primary thing here highlighted is long life. Secondary is riches and honor. That's kind of because you you carried your sword in your right hand, you carried your shield in your left hand. So the, the illustration or what's shown to be the priority here, that she is bringing good things. To the relationship. She's bringing good things to you. Wisdom's dominant hand is full of longevity. Longevity. And following God's design for our lives and living a life according to his purposes as a general rule of thumb. Really underlying that. As a general rule of thumb leads to living a full life. Obviously, there are counterexamples. Think of every martyr ever who didn't live a long life, and a life of wisdom was actually what led them to an early death, because a life of wisdom was a life in submission to the Lord, and that meant at times, based on the authorities of the day, going against unbiblical practices and being eaten alive or burned at the stake or other gruesome counterexamples to this verse. But nevertheless, as a general principle, this is wise living brings longer life. Of course, this is not a guarantee, but it's a general principle. Long life is a close companion of wisdom. So the second, second thing that wisdom brings to the table, brings to the relationship, is what her other hand is full of, which is financial and social stability. Riches and honor. Stability. Another companion to a life that pleases the Lord and fears him is general stability. I think of the illustration here as far as Verse 16, long life bringing riches and honor and, or sorry, wisdom bringing long life, riches and honor. Growing up, I grew up in the country, um, in Battle Creek, not in Battle Creek, south of Battle Creek, East Leroy, Michigan. Very country. But we, uh, we lived on a, a pond that would freeze every winter, and it was a big pond, it was like a swamp, but like we owned, basically our property, you'd think of like, wow, that's a lot of acres, and you like realize that like, that is all swamp except for like one corner of property on the other end of the swamp that the only way you could get to it was in the winter when you could drive across. But in the winter, we'd go across on uh, 
four-wheelers and we'd cut down all the dead trees that were over there and that'd be our firewood for the year. So remember many winters going back and forth across the swamp with my dad, cutting down dead trees, splitting dead trees. And something about splitting the wood, when he would be putting a wedge in there and he'd hit it and just, the wood would just separate like butter it seemed. It was just like, wow, how did that work? Just like one, one tap and it just kind of cracked open. Whereas others, sometimes you'd hit it and there'd be a knot that would just jam up the, the splitting split mall and it'd be a mess and it, it wouldn't go as smoothly. And in the same way, I can't remember where I first heard it, but living a life based on God's wisdom, God's revealed word, is in the same way, it's cutting with the grain of the universe, is how I heard it said. Because God designed creation with intentionality, designed our relationships with intentionality. And when we go and do things by the book, we're essentially cutting with the grain of the universe. It's not turning the log on its head and just trying to chop. I mean, that's how you chop a tree down, but that's not how you split wood. And I've appreciated that illustration as helpful and also thinking about the knots and the fact that, yes, there's a grain to the universe, but also we live in a fallen universe, which means even though there's a general grain to this wood, there's always going to be the implications and the ramifications of living in a sinful, fallen world. And we've all encountered those. And that's why it's that's why it's helpful to think of wisdom in Proverbs as generally, this is how you cut with the grain of the universe, but realizing there's always going to be those, those variables and those knots that come from living in a fallen universe. I think that's important for illustrating long life, riches, honor. Um, generally, a life of wisdom is a life that follows those, that will be followed by those things, but again, there's always those exceptions. So, Another discussion question to hit later when we loop back there. I won't read it. Fourthly, wisdom is pleasant. Wisdom is pleasant. Verse 17, her ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths are peace. Often we are tempted to think otherwise of a life of wisdom. I think biblical wisdom is stuffy and not fun. But wisdom is a pathway that is both enjoyable and endurable. It's enjoyable and it's endurable. Satan, through every channel he can get access to, wants to communicate that doing life God's way is doing life the boring way. Every channel Satan can get to communicate that to you, he will be communicating that to you, whether that's through friends, whether that's through any resource he can get. He's going to be saying, doing things the wise way, doing things the biblical way, is doing things the boring way. The scripture says otherwise. Her ways are pleasantness and her paths are peace. Our flesh wants to buy into the lie that sin and self-gratification offers more desirable pleasures than the obedience to Christ. But to the contrary, the life of wisdom is one of steady and durable joys. Steady and durable joys. Internal peace accompanies the wise heart no matter what the tumult of the external circumstances might be. So we live, live a life based on God's word, based on his wisdom. We're able to just have a steady joy because joy is coming from the author of joy, Jesus. So it's wonderful that we have these directions and it's wonderful that we're reminded these aren't just stuffy rules. This is a path of pleasantness and joy, joy that the world can't offer. So question to, to loop back to, have you heard biblical wisdom spurned and dismissed as boring or old-fashioned? How have you responded or how would you respond to such claims? The last thing we'll look at is in verse 18. 
She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Wisdom's ultimate end is eternal life. Wisdom's ultimate end is eternal life. Again, this is where our terminology for wisdom gets confusing because if we think wisdom is just know-how and doing clever things that help us in our relationships, then we're not going to rightly understand where Scripture says wisdom that is fundamentally connected to fearing the Lord is ultimately fundamentally connected to living not only a long life, but eternal life, eternal life with the Lord. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. This is specific terminology. Tree of life is a very specific term. Wisdom that is truly biblical wisdom is not just a bunch of little life tips. It's often how we might be tempted to read Proverbs and just be like, life tip, this will help, life tip, this will help. But realizing it's a connected whole and all these different things that flow out of that in Proverbs are part of a fully patterned life of conformity to God's design. This is most fundamentally expressed in a life of humble repentance and dependence on God, not self, for salvation. This is the life of a believer. A wise life is the believer's life. In this way, wisdom is seen as a tree of life. Another quote from Matthew Poole. He alludes to that tree of life, Genesis 2.9 and 3.22, which, if eaten by man in paradise before his fall, should have perpetually preserved him in life and health and vigor, and intimates that this is the only restorer of that life which we have lost by sin. Those passages, Genesis 2.9, And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, in 3.22 we read, Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. They put guards around his guardian, guardian angels, not the way we think of guardian angels, angels to guard the garden so that man would not take of the tree of life. So I think it's important to realize that when Psalms uses, or not Psalms, Proverbs uses that term, she is a tree of life. That's something really specific in biblical terminology. That's talking about Eternal life. The word holds the promise of escape from the curse of death. It goes all the way back to the garden when sin, disobedience, rejecting the Lord brought death. And we recognize that biblical wisdom, wisdom that's living a life, honoring the Lord, is a restoration of that pre-fall salvation, really. It's, it's being saved from the consequences of sin, which is a tremendous reality to consider. So, in conclusion, and we, I know we flew through today because of the, the meeting later, so give us time to discuss the tables, but then also for all of us members to, to get over there in time for um, this exciting season in our church. In conclusion, pursue wisdom. Probably could have guessed that was the conclusion from before we even read this passage. But the point is, wisdom is a priority in our lives because blessing is associated with finding wisdom and also with keeping and holding on to it. With finding wisdom and holding on to it. 
Again, if wisdom is just a bunch of life tips, then take it or leave it. It's going to make your life better or, or not. But if wisdom is what we understand it to be biblically, which is a life totally organized around God's will, most fundamentally expressed in trusting Christ as our Lord and Savior, trusting in Him as our deliverer, not ourselves, then living a life of wisdom is not just this optional thing that we can take or leave, but it's fundamentally necessary for our lives as believers, certainly, and a life that experiences God's blessing. And again, blessing, looking back, that's not just good, happy things happening in our life, but it's fundamentally God's gracious favor on us as his children. So we have to remember, rightly define wisdom, rightly define blessing, recognize those things go together, and it is a joy to walk in wisdom. The life of wisdom is a life of devotion to the Lord, the creator of the universe, and the redeemer of mankind. And question reflecting, how does this passage challenge us to value wisdom, pursue wisdom, and live a life aligned with God's will. What is one way the truth of this passage has challenged you in your perspective, priorities, and personal walk? I'll close our time with, in prayer, and then uh, feel free to discuss these at tables. Take about 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, try to be wrapped up no later than 45, so that all of us who are members can dash out to be there no later than 11.50. So. Um, I'll be floating around, too, to talk more about stuff at tables. Um, really appreciate y'all being here this morning, and I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for wisdom and the fact that it's part of one whole. It's a, it's a complete fabric. It's not just disconnected pieces that we can take or leave, but that you've given us so much to go off of for living a life that pleases you. Most fundamentally, we thank you for a saving relationship through Jesus Christ and the restored relationship that you've given us through him and just the blessing it is to be able to walk before you in wisdom, recognizing that in our own eyes, in our own sight, if we were left to the culture's mantra, mantra of follow your heart, we would be, um, as we all were before you stepped in and saved us, we would be heading on a path for destruction because that is the natural bent of our sinful hearts. So we thank you for giving us a new heart and we thank you for giving us eyes to understand who you are in your word. I ask that you'd bless the discussions at tables, allow all of us to grow in wisdom throughout this time together and also every day as we seek to know better your plan for us and your will for us. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.